This is the John Oakley Show podcast. It's unacceptable. We have the capacity now. Before I understand, we didn't have the reagent. We didn't have all the testing. We have the testing capabilities. We have the assessment centers uh, capabilities. We have the reagent. We say we can do 13,000 a day. Then we need to start doing 13,000 every single day. That was Doug Ford earlier today on the question of testing and why this province lags all others on a per capita basis of conducting tests tests for the COVID-19. 3,200 on a daily basis, inadequate when they can ramp up to 13,000. Other precincts, uh, other countries actually uh, doing tens of thousands on a daily basis, which uh, certainly gives them greater clarity on the matter. But let's pick up on that point as one of our topics worthy of discussion and the panel that includes Ernie Eves, the former Premier of on- uh, and Finance Minister in Ontario. Ernie, how are you doing? I'm fine. How are you, John? Likewise, hanging in. And Dan Moulton joins us, Vice President of Government Relations at Crestview Strategy, a liberal strategist and media commentator. How's Dan? I'm doing well, John. Okay. Ernie, let me start with you because, I mean, when Doug Ford loses it today, I guess he's getting exasperated. This does, you know, doesn't seem adequate for a province, you know, to have only 3,200 tests when uh, so much more is necessary. I mean, when you were premier, I mean, was there an occasion where something just drove you nuts and you lost it as well? From time to time, hopefully not in front of the media or on air, but, um, you know, I mean, people are human beings. They, If you're loaded and under pressure and uh, you become a little exasperated and frustrated from time to time, I think uh, it's only normal that from time to time people lose their cool. Yeah, but you can understand that impulse, right? I mean, uh, this just doesn't oh, yeah, seem... Absolutely. I can All certainly right. understand that <laughs> well, how did we get to a position where uh, we can't meet the requirements? I mean, this is something that's kind of confounded me. Dan, do you have any idea? I mean, we're really coming up short. Masks, uh, we allowed, you know, the, uh, I guess, the stockpile to be depleted after SARS when we would have learned our lesson back in 2003. Uh, where do you think the problem arose or who was who responsible for letting things slide to this this condition? Well, look, I, I would say we've got to give credit where it's due. I think the government and public health officials in this province have done an incredible job responding to a pretty fast-moving crisis and uh, providing um, you know, the necessary resources uh, to our healthcare system to try and contain and manage the growth of that outbreak, which it seems to, to be happening. Uh, there are obviously not enough tests being done. Like I, I think that goes without saying we heard the frustration from the Premier today uh, to that exact point. Um, it is it is clearly a deficiency uh, in the system right now. We need more tests being done. I think the challenge the government faces is that you know the buck has to stop somewhere. And so it was interesting to see the premier, um, you know, get a little hot in the collar today about this topic and and push uh, the public health officials to do a better job as the public certainly expects uh, uh, them to do. But you know he is the premier. The buck stops there. And so I, I think it is interesting to see politicians uh, of all stripes. Uh, try and do a dance sometimes where, you know, they express that frustration from the public, uh, but they're also at the same time the head of the government, and and they have to be accountable for those things as well. Well, all right, but I mean, this is the point. After SARS, I mean, uh, there was 15 years of liberal rule in this province, so it took us to a a case of uh, being derelict in their duty, wasn't it? 
Well, I, I mean, I'm not surprised it only took you three minutes to start blaming Wimbles for something here, well, no, John, but you but, were the uh, one who brought up accountability uh, and the buck stops with the Premier. So I'm just I, sort of playing along with what you're telling me. I don't think any. I don't think any government in the country or anywhere in the world was adequately prepared to face this crisis, right? I think that we can have a discussion, as I'm sure we will, about who responded quickly enough and, and who did what at the right times. Uh, but I, I think when it comes to having the resources to prepare to fight this from a, a healthcare side of things, uh, no one was adequately prepared. Uh, were there enough masks on hand? Probably not. And so I think that there, there certainly needs to be a concerted effort moving forward uh, to not only stockpile and have these resources available, but as we've heard from the Premier and as we've heard from federal officials over the last few weeks, uh, ensure that Canada is also able to manufacture these products and have them here domestically as opposed to have to rely on other countries and markets to import them in from. Well, uh, yesterday when I was talking to Michael Hurley, QP's head of Hospital Associations Union, uh, he was squarely planting this in Doug Ford's lap, saying, you know, the Premier should be compelling businesses to manufacture PPE. Now, many businesses have stepped up. Uh, I don't know how many. It's hundreds. Uh, and even federally, I guess the Prime Minister was talking about like 5,000 have been retooling, whether it's ventilators, gowns, like uh, Canada Goose, uh, Stanfield, the underwear maker, they're doing gowns. So the idea that, you know, uh, the province compelling and that this premier has somehow dropped the ball because he hasn't compelled people to go ahead and manufacture PPE for his frontline operatives, I mean, that's talking about where the buck starts and stops. Ernie, uh, does that make sense to you? I mean, does a premier have to basically uh, be responsible ultimately and so to the point of compelling business to manufacture these things that are needed? Well, I think that, uh, quite frankly, the government's done a pretty good job of getting, and so has the federal government done a pretty good job of getting, you know, the private sector involved. And uh, a lot of companies have stepped up to the plate. They didn't have to be forced to do it. They've done so voluntarily. And uh, I think it has taught us a lesson, though, going forward, of course, that we're going to have to have the capability to uh, produce these things here in our own country and, if necessary, in our own province as opposed to relying upon other countries, such as the U.S. or China, uh, to bring some of this equipment in and some of these protective devices in. Um, you know, there's no doubt, I said a, few, a couple of weeks ago, that and this is not a, I'm not blaming anybody. Um, obviously, the, the bureaucracy in the, in the Ministry of Health could have been more attentive, shall we say, to the 55 million masks that were left over after SARS, but then a lot of them expired, and nobody was really keeping on top of it. Having said that, you know, with respect to the test kits, um, it's not like you can develop a test kit for a virus that hasn't existed before. So everybody all over the world is scrambling uh, to get these in place, and they are responding, albeit in some cases several weeks late. And it is important to know to have as many tests done as possible. I believe in your jurisdiction. If you look at the places that have been most successful, South Korea is certainly one of them, and they've tested a lot of people, you know, a huge percentage of their population. The same with Iceland, for example. I believe they've tested something like 400,000 people. I don't know how many people live in Iceland, but it can't be much more than 400,000. So I think the more information you have, the better it is for scientists and medical people to be able to determine, A, not only modeling, but B, 
take take and recommend appropriate uh, measures to deal with the problem. You know, yesterday we had this report, really alarming, that uh, 62,500 of these masks uh, that were slated for frontline operatives were found to be defective. Uh, They were ripping and uh, ill-fitting all around. And uh, the manufacturer said, well, we'll give you, this is the city of Toronto now. Uh, They said to the city of Toronto, we'll give you the full refund, 200 grand. Uh, Turns out they were manufactured in China but distributed here somewhere in uh, the locality. But, you know, the report also says that these were earmarked for long-term care facilities. I don't know how many were actually uh, put in operation, but, my God, when you think about making a connection, uh, whether it's valid or not, I don't know. We haven't investigated. Nobody seems to have come up with that answer. But that's a potential lawsuit, wouldn't you say, Dan? Well, certainly, uh, yeah, certainly presents a lot of risk there. Um, I'm not sure why uh, why those masks were defective or, or, or you know, what, what the exact reason why they ended up being deployed like that is. Um, I, I will say, going back to the question on, on tests, though, I think it's also important we remember that uh, resources like masks, like tests, uh, should be deployed to the places where they're most needed and where public health officials are making determinations that they'll have the most impact on the health system. So in the case of masks, we've certainly heard public health officials at the federal level talking about this the last few days. Uh, Dr. Tam making very clear it's, it's most important that respirators and other N95 masks and, and medical-grade masks are with the people that need them on the front lines of our healthcare system, helping prevent the spread, uh, helping prevent the spread there. I think it's important that when we talk about testing and where we're using the limited resourcing of tests that we have, it's being deployed at places where the infection rates are, are for the most vulnerable populations. And so that does include long-term care homes and other places where the elderly are more, more exposed. Because you know, if a young, obviously young people can be uh, can be affected by this virus as well. But it seems as though the research is clear, you know, the, the people that are most vulnerable are in their the older age demographics. And so shouldn't we be launching tests in those communities more than we should be worried about people who are, you know, 30 years old and, and feeling a little under the weather? Well, the trouble is, I mean, everybody that's uh, testing positive is obviously a carrier. And there are a lot of people for whom there are symptoms and they, they want to know, or uh, I guess even the health authorities want to know if potentially they could you know, carry the contagion, the way the thing spread so quickly. Uh, You know, I get your point, like, uh, you know, allocating directly to the hotspot. But, geez, it seems to me like there are so many hotspots, we don't even have adequate resources to address that. And to your N95 question, uh, Doug Ford was saying we only had about a week to go before we uh, had the cavalry come over the hill from 3M. I think yesterday or earlier today, those 500,000 were delivered. But the burn rate on those is pretty fast. I had somebody explain to me yesterday, uh, nurse goes into a room where there's a COVID patient, they come out, basically that mask gets scrapped. And right now they're reduced to uh, trying to, in some cases, sanitize the mask and reuse. Uh, But I don't know if that's an adequate answer for what you're looking for. In terms of finding out, though, who has it, who doesn't, there's a, a blood test and the FDA in the States today approved that. It's a serological test so that they would know who's passed the virus and is now somewhat immune. Uh, would that help us in any way, even insofar as like opening up businesses if uh, you've got this immunity? Or maybe you carry an immunity certificate. I know Germany is looking at that as a way of giving people confidence or uh, allaying their fears that this person is, you know, certified and good to go. Does that make sense to you, Dan? 
Um, I, you know, I'm not sure that it's going to have the kind of immediate impact you're, you're maybe you're maybe suggesting it will. Where we are right now is uh, trying to limit the spread of this virus as much as possible by asking everyone to stay home and, and not get out there. I don't think some sort of widespread immunity tests right now is exactly what we need. We need to continue to enforce social distancing measures so we can get past the peak here. Because I think that's the, that's the clear message that people need to be reminded of is that we are approaching a peak. Uh, the more we can do to limit uh, a rapid spread of that virus, the less strain is going to put on our limited health resources, uh, the less strain is going to put on the economy, uh, and the faster we'll be able to get out of this thing. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because uh, we had various health authorities and uh, Dr. Tam saying that this coming weekend, a long weekend, uh, you've got Passover. It's Easter weekend as well. Just the holiday on Friday for Good Friday. Uh, folks are apt, and if the weather is good, to get out, wanting to mill about and uh, all the rest of that. John Tory uh, was talking about a blitz on parks and uh, how they've got uh, a couple of hundred extra people for bylaw enforcement as well as the Toronto Police Service and the mounted unit and everything like that. There have been stories of people walking their dog and uh, they've been ticketed $880 because they're crossing through a park. Uh, and there are many, many more examples, Ernie, but you're a dog walker, so I'll direct this to you. Is, you, is the enforcement of a fine up to $1,000, as the mayor said today, uh, too draconian? Does it make sense? I mean, we're all making a sacrifice, and I don't want scoff laws to getting a free ride here, but some are saying it's overreach. How do you see it? Well, I think you have to use some common sense here. What's uh, practical and what isn't? Uh, you know, if somebody happens to be, this is my opinion, if somebody happens to be walking through a park and they're not breaching any social distancing rules, uh, them or their dog, for that matter, um, then I think you know, I don't think I'd be handing that person an $880 ticket. However, we have seen many people not paying attention to these rules, gathering in groups of people and standing around and chatting two feet from each other. We've even seen that happening inside and outside grocery stores. And I think, you know, that is just not acceptable behavior. You're not only endangering your own life, but you're endangering the life of other people and those people at home that you might bring it back to. So I think I think Dan's correct. I think we all have to play a part here in doing our bit to get us through the next couple of weeks at least, and then we can take stock of where we're at. I think the test that the U.S. is doing, the blood test, is a is a you know a, certainly a value and would help us figure out how we're going to get out of this thing and what the appropriate measures would be to take. But I think right now. We should be focusing on testing at large as many people as we can to try to contain the, the outbreak. All right. Well, getting beyond the 3,200 for sure and getting up to 13,000, as the premier was saying, on the matter of, you know, strolling through the park, uh, the mayor even cited people playing at Don Valley Golf Course, the Muni course down in the valley under the 401, uh, which isn't even open yet, but they're out there with their sticks. And I'm guessing there's not a whole lot of folks, so there's social distancing, but he even says uh, those people would be liable to fines of at least $1,000. And he also cited Cedarville Park, uh, abutting Forest Hills, and uh, the Humber Bay Park, too, where people are going out by the lakeside. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.